Hello, friends. We had some sad news this past week. As some of you probably know, Jesse Tapia II passed away suddenly and tragically on Wednesday. Lisa and I wanted to take a moment and recognize the tremendous impact he had on us during our short friendship and the impact that he had on the community in general. We met him, like many of you did, on the internet, where he was always visibly and enthusiastically championing the medium of comics. He was one of our first supporters on Comic Book Couples Counseling, and it meant the world to us. Many of you probably heard about our show from Jesse, (laughs) as he was always passing out our stickers at Arsenal Comics and Games and telling the creators who did signings there how cool CBCC is. We loved hanging out with him at San Diego Comic-Con and WonderCon, and we admired him so much for his openness and positivity. Like, he had the best smile. And going over all the various photos of him this past week, like, like, that smile of his, like, the joy that was in there and like the, you know, you said enthusiasm for comics, like it's all there right on his face. He loved talking about comics. We know every time we celebrate the medium of comics, it would make Jesse smile. And in that way, we get to keep a piece of him with us every day. You know, one of his last tweets was like the pile of books that he had picked up at the shop Mm -hmm. and, Uh, You know, it wasn't just about like, here are the books, like here are the books that uh, I'm excited about that I'm reading. You should read them, too. It ended with a question of like, what are you reading that you're excited about? And, you know, that right there, that quest for not even quest, like that curiosity that he had for the art form and the creators who made it. I mean, that defined him. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why he was always such a great follow. And that's why he was always such a great hang. I think back to the early days of lockdown and how we first bonded over Usagi Yojimbo and he would egg you on, you know, Stan Sakai during that period was selling some original art and I was talking with him and it was like, Oh, should I pull the trigger and buy this expensive piece of art? You know, it was like 300 bucks at the time. And, and Jesse's like, well, I'm going to buy one. And I was like, well, if Jesse's going to buy one, I'm going to buy one. And right now, as we're speaking, like to the right of us is this Miyamoto Usagi piece that Stan Sakai had put up on sale during lockdown. And we got it because Jesse egged us on to get it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we returned the favor. We egged him on to get his. So He, he was an enabler, like, in the best yeah. in the best way. He really made it feel like um, we were doing it together. And yeah. It was so nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It's it's stupid that we're, we're talking this way right now because it's just like I cannot. It's unreal that we've lost Jesse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were talking on Wednesday and now he's gone and I hate it. Yeah. I hate it so much. And, um, you know, I don't like, so what can we do? Right. What can we do with our grief? How do we, how do we handle our sadness? We've talked about it in the past on the podcast. And I, I think the way that you handle such sadness is that you honor Jesse, you honor Jesse, Jesse by being kind always. Yes. And being champions of this art form, finding some comics that you love and recommending them to your friends, recommending them to your family members, recommending them to strangers. Yeah, and and when you share something that you love, be sure to ask about what they love. Yeah. Yeah. Um our hearts go out to 
his partner Cheyenne, all his friends, all his family members, all his Twitter followers and social media followers. And there is actually a GoFundMe campaign currently up. Uh, there, and there's a link to it in the show notes of this episode. Timmy Heeg from Arsenal Comics has put it together. And, um, you know, if you can spare it, uh, you know, like, you know, just a few dollars even uh, to to help the family at this time, this horrible, horrible time, please do so. And if you can't spare it, share the GoFundMe campaign on your socials, you know, a retweet, a posting on Instagram, a posting in your reels or on Blue Sky or on threads or on Facebook that can go a long way in helping his family get financial aid in at a time when like you don't want to mess with finances at all. You don't want anything else to worry about. No, no. Um, yeah. So thank you, Jesse. It was a privilege to get to know you and we were lucky to have you in our lives while we did. And we love you. Now let's podcast. You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm. In this episode, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming in our creator corner, where we're talking to Junie Ba, mostly about Mobilis from TKO Books. Yeah, there's a little bit of the unlikely story of Felix and Macabre in here, too. But Mobilis is the main topic because both books are great, but Mobilis hits something deep within mm -hmm. comic book couples counseling's core. This is actually the second time that Junie has been on the podcast. We first spoke to him after Jalea was published. That is a book also available from TKO Presents. He did Monkey Meat from Image Comics. Yes. Man, we love Monkey Meat. It's so weird. If you like the Twilight Zone and you go, man, Rod Serling, you could be even angrier if you want yes. than Monkey Meat is for you. Judy Ba also did recently one of our favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stories. The I think it's the 20. Ooh, I cannot remember the year. I'm going to say it's the 2022 annual, but uh, check our work. Hit Google <laughs> up to make sure that's true. But, Ninja Turtles looks great on him. Oh, man. Oh, man. I need more Ninja Turtles from Judy Ba. Um, but, you know, he is like a singular voice. He's one of those creators like Daniel Warren Johnson, right? Where you see him and you go, I need to follow him forever. I yes. will buy every single comic book that they produce. And in that sense, you, Lisa, are mm -hmm. very much like Junie Ba and Daniel Warren Johnson <laughs> because you are a singular voice that I will follow no matter where you go. Wherever your comics work pops up, I will buy it. And just this month, a book came out, Batman Year Wah, that contains some Lisa Gullickson artwork, and it is astonishing. 
That is high praise, Brad. And I think high praise in service of a segue, because we did have it, <laughs> we did plan to talk about my comics work in Batman Year Wa and how do you get there from Junie Ba to Lisa Gullickson? You can't. You ah. can't do it. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, you know, you know, love, I love going uh, the long way around for a segue. Mm -hmm. And you're partially true, but also I think, yeah, th that's, that, that segue comes from a place of honesty. Like, I'm so excited. You have to buy everything that I make because you're my spouse. <laughs> and if you don't believe in me, who does? Yes, yes, that is true. Uh, I, I I believe that is legally true. Yeah. But I'm also really proud of the art that you have produced for Batman Year Wa. And I think that Batman Year Wa is a comic that many people beyond your husband will enjoy. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's a it's like a weird treasure. It's so wild. Um, I don't know if you guys know about 100% comics, but you totally should. It is run by Will Hoffnecht. And um, this is actually the second book I've done with them. And what he does is he takes an iconic comic book story, like, say, for example, Batman Year One, and then he invites a ton of artists with many styles and skill levels, and he invites them to remake, redo, parody, one page of that comic or two pages. I did too. Yeah. The first time you contributed to such a collection was for Weapon X, which was a parody of Weapon X. And, you know, that was an exceptional piece. <laughs> but you have gone the, to the next tier of your uh, talent for Batman Year Wa. And it comes out in two separate editions. There's a color Batman Year Wa and there's a noir, a black and white Batman Year Wa. And you have to get the noir edition of Batman Year Wa to get the Lisa Gullickson pages. And you need to get the Lisa Gullickson pages. That's right, because I wasn't I, I, I'm not a good enough colorist yet to make the color page. Cause as you can tell by the pages that I did, I am frightened to use black. So <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the best examples of what this book does so well happens on page 44. It's a piece from Barry Tan. And it's that moment from Batman year one where Batman blows out the wall and he's like, you know, ladies and gentlemen of Gotham, you've been eating well, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's like, you've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit. Your feast is nearly over. And uh, Barry Tan recreates that page fairly um, faithfully. But the, the rich people in the room are dick tracy villains and david mazzichelli's asterios polyp so like <laughs> you know for a certain reader who sees that they're going to get some chuckles in now when you got the assignment lisa uh, what was your take on the pages that you were given well i was given page 72 first and i had just watched point break and the scene that i got was Bruce Wayne was going skiing so he could fake a ski accident to explain his Batman injuries because he's just figuring out. It's his first year. He's figuring out how to Batman. And so I changed the skiing to surfing and I changed. Oh, and then there's like one panel at the top that is um, Sergeant Essen. And so I changed that to Patrick Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, so this page 72, I actually did with pencil and ink. 
And um, I did the the panels separately, yeah. and then I used my scanner to just kind of shrink them but and again, put them together. Like you did a great job of cloning the illustration and paneling from Batman Year One. So yeah. I mean, it, it 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 it's it's Johnny Utah in place of Bruce Wayne, and your Keanu is pretty spot it on. It is pretty good. I cannot draw people in most cases. <laughs> I, I mean, you're. Your, your Patrick Swayze's a little funky. <laughs> a little derpy. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. it works. It works. But I, I love the Keanu. And I love, you know, the moment in Batman Year One, the panel at the bottom in the middle where Bruce Wayne is having the skiing accident and you have uh, Johnny Utah doing the, the, the he's, uh, what do you call it? Inner tubing? <laughs> I have no idea. He's upside down on his surfboard and in one hand he's doing a hang 10 and in the other hand he's doing a peace sign. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so good. I like that page a lot. I think it's killer. But the page you did after that, which is technically the page that comes before that one. Page 71. Yeah, I think this is one of the best things you've ever illustrated. Yeah, I'm super proud of it and it is because I reached down deep to the core of myself and what I found was the Muppets. I was raised entirely by the Muppets. To me my first like fashion beauty icon was Miss Piggy and so the page that I got on that on page 71 Jim Gordon is talking to Sergeant Essen and she's really on to something with this Bruce Wayne character but uh, Jim Gordon is distracted because he finds himself catching some feelings some for his for his coworker. Yeah, yeah. So Jim Gordon is Kermit the Frog. Naturally, Sergeant Essen is Miss Piggy, <laughs> and Barbara Gordon. If you zoom in with your eyes and you look at the picture on Kermit's desk, is Fozzie, awesome. which, I, awesome. which I think is fun. That's a heck of a great office lisa thank you the office i pretty much just copied in my own style the the office from the from the original but of course it's worse and then um <laughs> and then also like i said i'm not comfortable filling in black spaces so i just left everything kind of liney and white i like it i th i think it it has a very lisa gullickson aesthetic to it Thank right you. as it should because that's the whole point of doing this project yeah um but but i but like if again like it's your kermit on the second panel and the final panel i can see jim gordon still in the kermit expression and Damn it, it's delightful. I'm really proud of the second panel, like the the long one where Kermit is smoking and he's holding a phone to his, uh, his yeah, well, he, where he would have an ear. Yeah, it's so good. It's um, so good. Yeah. The comic is really fantastic. It's so loving. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's humorous as all get out. And, you know, everyone has their own style of comedy as well. And uh, some of it's pretty extreme. But, I, like... If you are a Batman geek, and if you are a Batman Year One geek, like this is a treasured item. Link in the show notes to the book. Lisa, you now have actual comics work in your, you know, I do. bibliography. It's so fun. We could actually go and table at like Awesome Con <laughs> or the Big Lick Comic Con in Dulles, and we'll have, you know, some Weapon X comics, some Batman Year Wa comics. I think this is the beginning of something, Lisa. I would love that to be true. I mean, like, um, we just talked, we had two amazing conversations 
with Kevin Alvier, who did Lisa Cheese and Ghost Guitar, and Matt Lesniewski, where he's talking about Faceless and the Family. That episode is not out yet. That's in your future. It's in the can, but I'm going to give you like a little preview. They both talked about what it was like to kind of find their own style. And they had two extremely different approaches where both of them are highly virtuosic. They're very skilled. And from that place, from that precipice of skill, Kevin Alvier went, I think I I, I prefer to be a little breezier, a little easier, a little bit more sloppy and sketchy for my style. And Matt Lesniewski was like, okay, how can I take this to the extremity of my virtuosity? How can I make, how can I make the way that I do my shapes, my anatomy, how can I make it super complicated and super layered? And I really feel like my style does not yet come from virtuosity. I do not have a lot of skills. So a lot of my style is coming from a place of like limitation. Like this is what I can draw today. And it's because I don't practice. But, That's the truth. But but you have persistence. Yeah. Right? Uh, like if I get an, an assignment, I can finish a thing. I, well, I'm going to give you some assignments then. Because okay, I think please. we need to finish some things. Like yeah. I think comic book couples counseling comics needs to happen. Oh, I And if that. you are listening and you want some comic book couples counseling comics and you want more art from Lisa Gullickson, you need to encourage her with some <laughs> words of affirmation. That is my love language. So, uh, yeah, seek out Batman Year Wa, the noir edition. Pick up the color edition yeah, as well. Yeah, that but, one has Tony Wolf in it, who we love. Love. Uh, it's also really fabulous. Uh, but the noir edition is the one that's Lisa's. And man, I freaking love it so much. And I know you'll love it too. And uh, isn't it great to support like the real indie artists? Lisa is a real indie artist now. That's right. That's right. My joke that I like to make is, ah, oh, you should buy a piece of Lisa Gullickson art because it's super rare. Because she doesn't draw <laughs> that often. So if you have it, like... But you know, like... um when, <laughs> you, you know, it, when you look at the bibliography of Stephen King, right, mm -hmm. uh, where he began with like a story like The Plant, you can barely see the Stephen King that eventually becomes the best-selling author that we all know and love. But it, he's in there. He's a little bit in there in that plant short story. And that's what your piece in Weapon X is, I love saying it. Weapon <laughs> eh. Weapon <laughs> eh. As well as your pieces, your two pieces in Batman Year Wa. So, like, this is I, this is the beginning of something. Yeah, like, I think often about uh, the artist Georgia O'Keeffe. Like, she was an artist who <laughs> yeah. started, like, but I, now I'm getting a little old to even be Georgia O'Keeffe. You know, I don't know exactly when she started. You know, Stanley and Jack Kirby created the Fantastic Four in their 40s. Lisa. There you go. So, <laughs> so I am approaching, I'm approaching my Fantastic Four era. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Batman Year Wa. Let's go from Batman Year Wa. Let's segue Ooh. from Batman Year Wa to Mobilis, My Life with Nemo by Junie Ba. And we just did it. That was the segue, guys. I loved it. The book is available right now from TKO. And unlike Jalea, which was this real nifty, satisfying, thick, digest-sized comic book, Mobilis is practically a coffee table book. It's huge. It's massive. And it needs that amount of space because the art is expansive and you and you want to get lost in it. 
So the basic plot is this young girl named Arona wakes up one day aboard the Nautilus, Captain Nemo's Nautilus. And the world, the oceans in which the Nautilus swim, something has gone horribly wrong. It's an end time situation. And it appears that the only humans left on the planet are this young girl and Nemo. And at first, Nemo wants nothing to do with this young girl, but then he sees opportunity in this young girl, and an education begins. There is another key character on the Nautilus, though they are not a human being. They are like a lost in space, Danger Will Robinson robot, <laughs> but his programming carries a history carries, um, I don't want to get into spoilers, but carries a perspective that changes the course of Arona's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is one of our favorite books of the year. If you are going to put a top 10 list together in December, you really need to have read this book. It might be my favorite book of the year. It's in competition with a few others like Dave Chisholm's Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound. It's absolutely my favorite Junie Bob book. And I don't say that lightly because Julia is a masterpiece and Monkey Meat is a masterpiece, right? But Mobilis, yeah, this is very comic book couples counseling. And it's a freaking thrill to be able to go to Junie Ba and talk to him about it because this story is a conversation starter. It is a thought imagination sparker and the opportunity to like go to the source and go like, <laughs> like what, what were you thinking? How did you make this? How did you make something so spectacular? I need to know. And Judy loves talking that stuff. Yes. Right. So yeah, uh, let's get into it. But before we could do that, actually, before we can get Judy by into the love nest, Lisa, we got to do some. Referrals. I wasn't ready, but I nailed it. As always, our referral segment is sponsored by Omnibus. Omnibus is a modern digital comic book store and reader app carrying your favorite single issues, volumes, and omnibuses all day and date. Just like your local comic book store, you pay per book, but digital. Their focus is on building an excellent customer shopping and reading experience and using novel discovery features to help fans find their next new favorite book. They feature top tier content and already have many of the top publishers in comics today. In the spirit of helping people find their next favorite book, we have our referrals segment. The idea is to give our counselees, that's you guys, further reading on the themes of the episode. Think of it as us sending you to specialists to further your healing journey through comic books. As of this week, friends, yeah. you can now browse, shop, and read on Omnibus for from any browser on any device. Literally anything with a screen could be a comic book, which is its best self, and we all want to be our best selves. What's your referral this week? My referral this week, I wanted something that had the spirit of Mobilis's adventure. I wanted something with a young protagonist. I wanted something new that I had not yet read before, but also something that my friends have been saying, Brad, you really need to be reading this. And that is Kaya, illustrated and written by Wes Craig. It's it's gorgeous, <laughs> you know, it it has that Junie Ba quality. It's gorgeous. Although Wes Craig has a very different style than Junie Ba. Um, 
it is set in a world that feels a little off from ours. It has a bit of a post-apocalyptic vibe to it. There are all kinds of different species or different types of humanoids involved. The central figure is a young girl, and she's on a quest to take her even younger brother and find a safe haven for him. Um, Image Comics like throws a bunch of really rad titles that you already love at you. Like, you know, like, oh, it's this meets this, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And those titles, of course, are Lord of the Rings, Bone, Conan the Barbarian, and Adventure Time. Okay, I'm in. I'm <laughs> right? in. Yeah, so, yeah, and I do think you would really like it. And uh, I, I think if you enjoy books like Jalea and Mobilis, My Life with Nemo, I, th I think you would you would dig Kaya. And I, I need more Kaya. You know, the first mm -hmm. volume is currently available on Omnibus, and I'm itching for more. So that's my referral, Lisa. Into what it. is yours? So the direction that I went is Mobilis is a story about a child having to make moral decisions for themselves and use their naivete plus their um, life experience to make some hard calls. And so I chose Fish Flies by Jeff Lemire. I haven't read it yet. It's so gross. So it starts, <laughs> it starts with these three boys and they see this gas station flooded with fish flies to the point where it looks like in Jeff Lemire's art, like almost like a carpet of just oh. bugs. And kids are awful. So of <laughs> course they uh, taunt their friend. They dare their friend to walk across the fish flies to buy popsicles for everyone. And so this kid does and something terrible happens. Okay. Cut to Franny. She's this little girl with snot running down her nose, crazy hair, just a real ragamuffin type. And she goes to this silo. And in the silo, there is this man and he is injured. And she can tell that he's not well. And she decides to just kind of adopt him and go like, I won't tell anyone where you are and I'm going to take care of you. So now I'm gonna throw some titles at you. Okay. And I'm thinking cinematic. I'm already making a movie that I'm not gonna wanna watch because it's so gross. <laughs> but um, I'm gonna say E.T. All right. Harry and the Hendersons. Love it. Men in Black. Okay. And The Fly. I mean, I can see I can see why you might have trouble with it because The Fly is a film that bothered you a lot. It's yucky. Yeah. And um I don't like yuck. Yeah. But I do like heart. Yeah. And yeah. all of those stories have a lot of heart. This and is, you love Jeff Lemire. I do love Jeff Lemire. If you're listening to our referrals, he is like my touchstone. I like right. I, I return to him so often. Um, and it's but, special when Jeff Lemire is writing and illustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've read his maze book, you know what I'm talking about, where it's it's a like when he's doing his own art, you know that he's kind of exorcising his own like demons, his own thoughts. Like it's like a, you get a very short line to exactly what he thinks as like I as I interpret it. 
And um, fish flies, I don't know how it turns out. I, I can't yeah, tell you. Yeah, only ya. two issues are out right now. And there's going to be only six in total, but they're like extra long. You're getting like a lot of story, a lot of Lemire goodness. So those are our referrals, both of which are available on Omnibus, which you can read on any browser. Referrals. So now let's bring Junie Ba into the love nest and have a conversation about Mobilis, My Life with Nemo. We do not spoil the end of the book, although we dance around it a little bit. And the book is available right now, so you might as well buy it and read it and enjoy this conversation as a complete package. So here's Junie Ba. Junie, welcome to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello. Uh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing high energy today. It's early in the morning for us. It's what middle afternoon, late, or uh, maybe early uh, evening. Yeah, it's gonna be four. It's gonna be four p.m. in two minutes. Okay, <laughs> so we've just jacked ourselves up on coffee, so we might be a little hot. Yeah, we're coming in hot. So where I'd like to start this conversation is, what was your introduction to Captain Nemo? And how has he existed in your imagination? Um, okay, wait. Because all I like everything I know about Captain Nemo, I got from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Like that's it. <laughs> that is my yeah. Nemo knowledge. That's the that's the main. Um, okay, so the first thing I think is that I'm I'm Senegalese and French. Mm -hmm. uh, Nemo is a French character, and he's one of those characters that like are part of the I want to say zeitgeist in France. No one ever uses him, but everyone knows about him at least. Um, and so I always knew about the character, but I've I've never I had never read or seen anything much with him in it until I read the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea when I was like twenty one, I think. Mm -hmm. That's when I designed Nemo, like the the, the design that you have in the book hasn't changed since when I was 21 after I wow. read it. Um, and yeah, so like the the book was my first real introduction to the character. And the main difference is that the character himself changed between 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and the Mysterious Island, which is where his origin is um, revealed and everything. The main difference being that the Nemo you see in 20,000 Leagues is, I almost want to say a different person in that you don't, from the description that you're given, you don't know where he comes from and you can't tell where he comes from. He speaks every language with a perfect accent. He doesn't give any information as to who he is, why he's even in, in, an, in a submarine in the first place. And that's really what motivated me. Like I loved all the contradictions of the character as well as the fact that you really can't tell who he is which means that you can also project a lot into him like Nemo literally means no one mm -hmm. so yeah that was the basis of it and then years after I started having more more ideas so when you read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and you were impacted by it like that that first impression has it evolved at all I mean obviously it evolved from reading 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea to Mysterious Island but as that Nemo has lived in your head for so many years, how has your interpretation of him changed? I know that once I was done with the book the first time, because I read it again when I was working on, on, on Mobilis, when I was done with the book, there was this like, I find him very interesting and very mysterious, but I like I knew I wanted to do something with him. 
but I didn't really know what the story would be about. And it took me a good 10 years to sort of like have a, a light go off in my head of like, okay, the book is going to be about these themes. And especially because like he comes from a very uh, specific time in literature, especially European literature of like, we want to discover the world. There are so many great places to see. Like it was the same time that people were like, um, there was all this stuff about, about like industrial revolution and building planes, so conquering the sky and everything. Like there was a lot of, of a sense of discovery that went with it. And like the big thing in the in the Nemo, like in the 20,000 Nicks book is that he uses electricity in his um, submarine, which was a big new thing at the time. And so like, I guess, I'd, at that moment, I was still in the middle of like, okay, I love how this is about discovering the world and all the questions that come with that. And then 10 years later, it became, there's a pandemic and there's, uh, what's it called again, uh, fires every summer. And and you kind of have, I'm, the big crust of the thing at, at the beginning was this idea of two generations of people. One would be represented by Nemo of the whole thing of, we wanted to conquer the world and we had all these grand ideas and grand principles. And then the next generation represented by Arona, who's like, well, everything you've done has basically destroyed everything. So hmm. what did you live for us? And what are we supposed to do with what you did? I'm curious when you encountered the seven generations principle. And when did you decide to insert that as Arona's like founding principle? Yeah. Uh, so I, all I know about it is was that it was a Native American principle. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't even tell you where I found it. Hmm. Uh, and it's one of those things that where it's kind of like when I was doing research for Jelia, it's hard to find um, research material for this kind of stuff. Uh, and but mostly like the idea was that she was going to be just like Nemo, she was going to be kind of vague in terms of where she comes from. Uh, the most you get is that she's South American. Uh, she's mixed, but even I couldn't tell you exactly what kind of mix she is. Like it's very much on purpose of like she comes from, she basically comes from the south of from the the south of the world, from the part of the world that suffered the most. Um, and then beyond that, it was more an idea of like everything I write is going to be an inform give, give you an information as to how she thinks. Um, so yeah, the the seven generation principle was kind of the perfect counterpoint to Nemo of like Nemo had become this very self-centered ideal of we care about our control over everything. And she's kind of the opposite of like everything I do needs to have a positive impact in the future, which is basically what was missing in the way Nemo did things until now. What I think is so interesting is in their conversations until the moment of realization after their first hunt together, like it seems as if Arona is filtering the lessons that he's giving her through her point of view. Like yeah. she, she, uh, she takes it for granted that he might not believe what she believes. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the book, like, so it started with a very world-conscious concept at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like the very first idea I had for this book, originally he was supposed to have a crew. And because like I had it in a panic attack. So it's not like I had a 
definite idea, but basically I started having flashes of Nemo and his crew stealing pieces of art around the world to preserve them mm-hmm. before they died. And then I had another year where my like I, I was in a difficult dynamic with someone and it sort of gave me this idea of no, he's going to have one person that he has to interact with and all of the book is going to be about how they live together and how they impact mm-hmm. each other. And for me, like a lot of that was, how do I put this? This kid needs someone to give her attention, affection, like the type of stuff that as a human, you need to develop yourself. And she has this man who is riddled with all kinds of like uh, mental health issues. And she doesn't know how to give that so she has to figure out how to navigate that person like how do i how do i maintain a relationship where i get what i need from that person who clearly isn't on the same wavelength as i am so there's a lot of like um adjusting that she has to do like a lot of the of the of the dynamic is pulled from the dynamic that i was in of you need to adjust yourself constantly you need to figure out today this person just woke up you don't know what they're going to be like today so you need to figure out how you're going to react to them and you can be in the middle of a very nice moment and suddenly they switch and you don't know why and you're dealing with a wall mm-hmm. <laughs> and and and, and the, the moment that you cared about having because you needed to feel safe you don't have it anymore because that person had just turned into something else um and you can lose yourself very easily like one of my favorite pages is when she's in her bed and she, she says what is it about me that's not good enough for him to and uh, conseil tells her like you can't change how he is and you can't save him like if you keep trying you're just going to drown with him that was yeah that was that was something that i had to tell myself essentially and and i was i was literally in the shower thinking that and then i was like yeah that would be a good scene for the book <laughs> i love the inclusion of conseil because their programming was moral guidance And the idea of, like, it's just operating from these what Nemo considers, like, arcane principles. Like, when did that character become necessary in your story? Um, I think it's when I figured... So the first thing is I like old sci-fi and um, having, like, a voice in the ship or an artificial intelligence somewhere. And, And especially when... I think the two main reasons were that there was a functional use. I needed a character to take care of her before Nemo is willing to do it. And Nemo needed to have a sort of self, I want to say self-satisfactory reason for doing it. He's, he doesn't care about her until he starts seeing something of himself in her. And until that happens, you need someone to take care of her. So that was going to be a robot because I, I, I didn't want to have another human on there. Um, and the other thing is that for a lot of the book, aside from Arona herself, Kosei is the most human, humane uh, person on the ship, which makes for a nice contrast of like, it's the robot who's telling you, you need to take care of this human girl. And you have to argue with him because you disagree and you you consider that you have better things to do. But like that humanity, that idea of like, there is a thing that is right. And yeah. it, it is a programming that we should all innately have. Like, it's a programming so essentially simple that even a robot can do it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, a lot of the, I think I think the, the line about how it's archaic principles, I think it came from like 
me putting myself in the shoes of Nemo, the guy who basically thinks I have no one else on the ship anyway. Like, why why should I care about these things? A very cynical point of view, basically, of like, why are these things still, why do they still matter in, in the first place since everything else has basically gone anyway? Like, it's the whole, basically, it's it, it goes back to this idea of like being a civilized human. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point of, of adhering to rules and... um and principles when everything around them has basically crumbled. One of the reasons why I think Lisa and I love the book so much is there's so many different points of entry uh, for us. You know, you have this relationship dynamic at the center of the story, but surrounding that relationship dynamic is this idea that uh, the world is gone or the world has moved on or the world is not, what it once was when because like you know the, the nemo story in Twenty Thousand leagues on the sea and mysterious island isn't the, the surroundings of that story are not the surroundings that are in this story so this idea of inheriting a broken world hmm. why was that the perfect match for your for your nemo idea i don't really have an intellectual response for that <laughs> so much of the like that part of the book came from a more um, emotional response i guess because like a lot of it came from being at home during the first lockdown and there was a lot of like I'm I'm part of that I want to say the first generation with a sort of realization of how bad things are in terms of um the 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 climate situation uh wars and everything like and and then you start you just start adding things on top of each other all the time like, I think there's a reason why so many of, uh, people of my generation and and, and, uh, and under are so stressed out and, and anxious all the time. Mm-hmm. So like, so there's not there's not a intellectual response because it's so much of feeling anxious. You don't necessarily know why most of the time, and you see anxiety inducing things pile up, and you see your parents' generation basically not realizing what's going on or not caring or having this sort of like they they, they dismiss it as a sort of like yeah the next generation is going to figure it out mm-hmm. yeah and, then, <laughs> and yeah so like and I think I, I, my cup was overflowing at the time of lockdown because it was basically this thing of people are dying and my dad is complaining that I'm not coming for like this holiday yeah and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> relatable. <laughs> relatable. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so basically, the, the just having having this contrast of how anxious you feel about everything that's happening around you, while at the same time the generation before you is sort of like doesn't seem to see a problem, or things that if there is a problem, is going to be solved very quickly. Like one of the things that's always been very funny is how my dad, especially, is especially he's very very good at when something happens, he says, yeah, it's going to be resolved quickly. So pandemic happened, it's going to be resolved quickly. Uh, Ukraine war is going to be resolved quickly. And now, and you can see like this opinion changing over time, Um, which is also one of the things that I like doing with Nemo, this sort of like bad faith uh, assessment of things like based on nothing except his own perception of um, expertise, I guess. Mm He's a dad. Yeah, basically, he's a dad. He's a dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think since lockdown, I've really drilled into this idea of the dystopian present. You know, I've always interacted with the dystopian idea in a science fiction kind of way and go like, oh, what we're doing today is going to lead to these, you know, robots rising and things like that. Yeah. And now I go like, oh, no, 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 it's happening now. Mm. We're living in the dystopia. And I think 
that is what I responded to so much in your book. At the same time, without spoiling anything, you show that the dystopian present of uh, this story isn't necessarily an end either, right? It's mm. it's it's an apocalypse, but it's an apocalypse that continues. Yeah, yeah. The I don't know. Like I I argued with myself for a long time about how the book was going to end. Uh, there was going to be a sort of like uh, again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there was going to be a sort of like um, what, what are they called again? Lost Boys. There was going to be a sort of a Lost Boys vibe to the ending, and I scrapped that mostly because I decided that I did not want to do what other, especially movies, tend to do with with a sort of a bunny out of the hat at the end where they solve everything by revealing that there was this solution somewhere and. Or this, like, I think one of the ideas that I had was that they were going to find that there was a bunch of children on an island somewhere, that humanity was still around somewhere. And I, and I figured, yeah, no, I don't want to do, I found it disingenuous, I guess, to like, to, to the themes of the book and this whole idea of one of the main issues of Nemo's generation was being so self-centered and making everything about themselves. Mm -hmm. So I wanted an ending that was more about reminding us that we are just one part of a whole and if we disappear the whole isn't going to disappear with us necessarily one of the things i find so brilliant is the inclusion of peter pan as an <laughs> alternative path to escapism yeah because when nemo finally decides to engage with arona i the way i interpret it is like i think he really thinks he can persuade her yeah. To think the way that he thinks. And that, but at the the same time, she has this other narrative going on. Like, when did you decide to include a that aspect? A narrative that, that was a gift from her, her mother. Her mother. Yeah. 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 Uh so one of the things was that she's she doesn't find her as an infant. So she already had education coming from someone. Hence the idea of the book being a gift from her mom. Like I, I figured I don't want to tell the reader too much about who the parents were. Again, to keep that vibe of mystery. But I also kind of want to show that she was someone who already had a set of values and ideas put into her head before she showed up. Um, and Peter Pan is one of the characters that terrified me the most. Mm -hmm. uh, and he he's sort of like, he represents... She represents childhood, but also in the negative sense of a lack of empathy, a sort of self-centeredness, and, and and a sense of it of entitlement. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not exactly sure why my brain went and made a parallel between the two in that way, but I thought it would be interesting. And also I wanted an, an opportunity to sort of draw Peter Pan because I had never done it before. Like <laughs> it's the same thing. I, I I read the book and then I started designing my own versions of the characters and when I found the idea of putting Peter Pan in it, I, would, I just took it. To me, the parallel is this entitlement to the present where, yeah. you know, Peter Pan goes like, I have one life, so I am entitled to live it the way that I want to live. Or the imperialist idea of like, I have one life, so I'm entitled to get everything that I want to get out of life, no matter how, how hard it is. And then in terms of the climate crisis saying like well that's somebody else's that's problem somebody else, i'm entitled to have a to good feel fulfilled yeah. in my life like 
one of the things when I was making this one was that I I found that Jelia was very didactic, I guess, of like telling you lessons of the book. This one I really wanted to make sort of like, I called it my pretentious indie movie <laughs> um, in that I, I wanted it to be as open as possible. So like, I have a question too, which is basically like, what did you think and what did you get out of the book? Because like, I figured everyone is going to have a different answer and it's kind of, a, it's become my, my big curiosity, I guess. The, the way this book ends is like even if arona what arona does at the end of the book doesn't change anything her life has been made better like she no. is feeling more fulfilled like where nemo always felt at mercy of his selfishness mm -hmm. and he was willing and he was looking at his selfishness in the super like romantic romanticized way where he's like i'm sisyphus i'm ahab yeah. and that's like so glamorous and it was killing him you know mm. he became this like kind of vacuum where even if it, it, all killing, yeah, even, if, <laughs> even if the only life her, ha, that has changed is hers that's 100 percent better but it's not the only life that he's changed right he has his crew or he had his he crew. his crew but like yeah. so he didn't meet like i loved the inclusion of those pages at the end of the book because the, the journal the journal because see now i'm getting to spoiler territory we'll just put <laughs> this out um because he Woo! it was just like counsel said you cannot you cannot invest yourself in his narrative because that's going to ruin your Woo! life so i like i do i like the lack of intentionality he had in Woo! crew so this is my dream, by the, the way, of me just telling the writer, like, these are my thoughts. <laughs> this is what I'm um, struggling with regarding the ending. And again, we will probably cut this out because I don't want to spoil anything about it. Woo! And ultimately for me, and this I think I can keep it to the, the, the podcast. Ultimately for me, what I appreciate so much about the story is that it presents philosophies that I recognize as things that as people that I blame for where we are today, yeah. <laughs> all the horrible stuff of what we were talking about earlier. But at the same time, the ending of the story recognizes that change is change. And just because that change might not be good for you doesn't necessarily mean that that change is... Or so it, the change isn't something you recognize. Yeah, and it's not bad. It's not, it's not necessarily bad. Like the world as it exists at the end of this story or actually the world as it exists throughout this book isn't necessarily a negative world it might be a negative world to the memory that nemo's holding on to yeah but yeah there's a, there's there's stuff we can put in that podcast yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice okay um, cool so i have a question about the entity under the sea this thing that is yeah. like drawing nemo I, I understand that it's a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor. But like a lot of times metaphors turn to something more literal. And I yeah. feel like Ahab had his whale. Nemo has, uh, your Nemo has this like weird entity. Where did the weird entity design come from? Uh, okay. So the idea came from the panic attack that I had. So again, I can't tell, I can't give you an intellectual response because it was just part of the images that I had. Mm -hmm. The design came from just 
playing with my um, drawing app and trying to figure out, like I took pictures of textures, uh, fungus, and a bunch of other things. And I just started like putting them on top of each other, changing the, la the, the layer the types and stuff like that. Like I just, I just played with it until I got this result. Um, I knew that I wanted it to be as abstract as possible. Like I didn't want it to look like anything. Um, and the metaphor aspect of it, like, so I knew I wanted it to have sort of this Eldritch vibe. It's an entity from somewhere you don't really know and you're never going to know. And it's going to be a, a sort of, a, it's going to be linked to Nemo's mental state and how it's going to affect his relationship to Arona. And it's really funny because like the people who I know who've read the book already, some of them, like they all have their own interpretation of what it is and what it's a metaphor for. And I can't look at any of them and say, no, that's not it. So like, I, I feel like every, it's one of those things that I was saying about how I want the book to sort of be, give you different things depending on who you are. Of like, I know it's gonna speak to you in that particular way. Uh, and one of them actually, like I know that some of the inspirations were my own life at that moment of being with someone that you can't really tell how they're gonna be on that specific day. So I think I was sort of personifying the thing that was making them act that way. Uh, and at least two of my friends who have who have had mental health issues recognize themselves in that very easily. Like they were like, "Yeah, Nemo was me." Um, so yeah, the, the it's a metaphor for whatever you want, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, right before we had this conversation, right before you joined uh, the Zoom room, Lisa and I were were kind of debating what the entity was. Um, and I think Lisa had a different take on it than I had. And I think that's what, you know, what you're, you're speaking to is why it's so effective because you don't necessarily spell it all out within the book. I can go, well, it's, I mean, it's, um, I, I don't want to, I don't even want to spoil yeah. necessarily what I think it is versus what Lisa thinks it is, but, but it can be either real or not real or both. Right. Yeah. Uh, like I want to talk a little bit about like the function that art serves in Mobilis. Art is the thing that gets sacrificed, but also art is the thing that might make the world better. Like, how does art function in this story for you? Um. So, like, I think I think a lot of like one of the first image that I had was. Nemo and his crew stealing um, the Mona Lisa mm -hmm. and taking it into into the sea and bringing it to this weird thing. And then I started having to like figure out like story reasons for it. Like a lot of the book, I think the first friend who read the book in its entirety is an editor, and he told me that he didn't expect the book to be as what was the word again. Um, impressionistic as it mm. was mm. and i found that it's a really good way to summarize like the, the narrative of the like the narrative style of the book a lot of it is not explainable it is more of like it just fits for me like i'm doing it this way because that's how i feel it should be um so i guess a lot of it is in the symbolism of like art is basically probably one of the best things that humans have made or like one of the most impressive and it's also an insight into the human mind. Like this was made by thinking and feeling beings who were 
trying to express something through that form. Uh, so the idea of like Nemo making essentially a shrine to the to the species that he lost, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you can see that he finds he sees himself in it, like the whole Sisyphus thing. Like he, as as analytical as he is, he still has a bit of a romantic soul, I guess. Uh, which all, is also kind of twisted because he can't he still can't stop himself from putting himself at the middle of that narrative, like in the center of it. So like so there's a lot of that element, I guess. Like I could I could sit down and try to figure out exactly what I was trying to do, but I, I don't know, just for my therapist, maybe. <laughs> when Arona rejects Moby Dick and he takes it like so personally. Yeah. And the idea of he thinks of himself as someone who is pushing humanity away like he like he's like i've been able to live completely independent of humanity and yet he still keeps a journal and i think he likes the idea that one day he's going to be admired for being able to be this like independent spirit who didn't need anybody yeah uh so I, I, one of the research elements that I used was after I watched John Week, because <laughs> um, I have a bit of a fascination for all this uh, alpha male stupidity. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, as a guy, I understand where it comes from, but it still doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but I understand how it seeps into your mind as a, as a man of, like, how you're raised, basically, and how you're raised to think. And Nemo very much has that vibe of what they call a Sigma male, which is the guy who's a loner, but because he wants to, and he's super charismatic and super talented and super powerful. And he could be the leader of absolutely anyone, but he chooses to be on his own and everyone respects him. That's basically John Wick. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and I, like, yeah. So basically my, 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 I guess if there's anything I'm trying to deconstruct in that book is this thing of like, Nemo thinks of himself as sort of a Sigma male, not in that term, but kind of like that same vibe. Hmm. Like I, I I remember in elementary school, like we would be taught, you know, Native American in like the most scattershot kind yeah. of way, where it was like just non-specific, general. But like one of the the things that stuck with me was the image of the hand with the hole in it. Yeah. Where it's just like a- anything that you're holding, you're only holding for a time because it's going to go through your hand into somebody else's hand and so like I also was like very attracted to that idea of the next generation is living through you I I loved that idea but I also was a person who very much clung to the idea of Peter Pan like I always I hated that Wendy became an adult I hated (laughs) that Christopher Robin became an adult I cried at the end of Hook for all of the wrong reasons you know what I mean? <laughs> I do feel that like entitlement to my fantasy, you know, that that yeah. um ultimately Arona rejects. That's like one of the things that like personally challenges me. And it was good for me to see Arona also be challenged by that idea. It's like, yeah, yeah. sometimes you do have to pull your freaking big girl pants on <laughs> and, and take care of the dystopian present. I felt a lot of things reading your book. <laughs> <laughs> good. That was that was one of the hopes, I guess. Like I, I, I was really not sure. I, I made the book because I needed to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think it's. I was coming out of a lot of a very difficult time, and I needed to sort of like put all of that into something. 
Um, so I know my own selfish reasons for making it. And then, and now I'm in the phase of like, I get to see how it's, or if it's impacted other people and in what way. Um, so yeah, that was nice. I'm curious about the time, the timeline of a real, well, really what I'm curious about is the length of how long you've been working on this book, because you yeah. are launching off of Julia and monkey meat, and then you've got this, and then you have Felix and Macabre and also you found time to write one of the best Ninja Turtle stories of the last yes. uh, 25 years. Um, and yes. you are, you're doing, uh, you know, you know, truth and justice stories. And uh, you've got a Harley Quinn story in September. Like how long has this project been going on? And is, are you working on it parallel with Felix and Macabre because they just so, or they just so happen to drop into reality in the same month? Uh, so Felix and Mac had been in the works since 2018, I think. Okay, all right. It's like long phases of doing nothing on it. Um, like long phases. Uh, and the reason it didn't come out before is because we didn't have the, I want to say the cloud <laughs> yet. Uh, and so it's more of a coincidence, but I am always working on at least three books at the same time. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. right. and, and Mobilis, I had the so I had the panic attack in 2020, and I had the final story ideas in 21, and I was working on it throughout 22. Well, not throughout. It took me three months to draw the whole book. Uh, yeah. So 150 pages in three months, and then I want to say about a year and a half of uh, pre-production, I guess. Just designing stuff and writing and rewriting. And then once the book was signed, it was really quick. The object that this book turned out to be is like, I'm showing it to you. You probably fucking seen <laughs> You've seen this thing, but it's like gorgeous. I love the fact that it is just from the jump, like put together, like, this is a classic. You should pick it, pick it up. It's such- The size alone. It's so satisfying. Yeah. It, it was really... in the pitch. Yeah. It was. I, I pitched I pitched it saying if we make this book, it has to be this specific size. I can't do anything under that because I need the pages to be big enough to have a lot of either a lot of panels or really big splash pages that you you know slap you in the face. That's usually how I say it. So yeah, it wasn't it was in the pitch. And then the production designer TKO has a really good team. Yeah, they do. The, the 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 design of it, like even I was really impressed. Like, I, I wasn't expecting it to look this good. Well, I wasn't expecting it to look this good when, when it showed up in the box. Like rolled over. I was like, like, this is. Why is this box so big? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of them here. Uh, it weighs a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, we're wrapping up here, but. I, I don't want to go without talking a little bit about Felix and Macabre. Uh, it's such a unique collaboration. Hassan's such an incredible comics uh, brain. Uh, yeah. What has that relationship been like? And how? what do you get out of that relationship that you don't get out of working solo on something like Mobilis? Um, okay. Have you, have you read the book? Yes. Uh, okay. Because... We the, the way it was made was that I was fresh out of school about seven years ago. Um, and 
Street Panel Naked is one of the main sources of like inspiration I used when I was working on my on my uh, the comic that I had to make to graduate. And so when I was out of school, like fresh after uh, graduating, I sent an email to Hass, essentially saying thank you for like how useful your uh, channel has been. This is what I've made, and if you know anyone that could be interested by this kind of work, like could you please show it, show it to them? And instead, he replied saying, "Yeah, you, you want to do a book together," <laughs> um, which was very much my senpai noticed me moment. <laughs> uh, and now, like we have, like we're, we're good, like six or seven years later, we talk every day, and he's he's one of my friends. And one of the great things was that when he told initially, he just told me, "I want to make a book with you." And he asked me, what do you want to draw? And I said, monsters. And he came to me with this idea of a very old wrestler and a little boy and, and monsters. And he described it to me and I was like, yeah, okay. So I started designing stuff. And I just sent ideas like, yeah, so this dragon is a giant dog. And when he draws, his draw changes into tiny knights who talk in like little drawings in their balloons. And he was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And so, like, it, there was a lot. There was a lot of back and forth of like figuring out what the story would be. There's a scene, a breakfast scene with Felix and his parents. Yeah, he, he took that from from what it was like for me living with uh, my mom and my stepdad, and he just took that moment and made a, a, a scene out of it. Um, so, for a good seven years, I've been saying that I kind of been I've kind of been spoiled by this experience because it's really hard for me to work with a writer now mm. <laughs> because it was such a very it was such a symbiotic relationship and he tells me the same thing all the time like he doesn't really know how he's going to work with another artist now because we had our very own way of doing it uh yeah so I know that it's it's an element that I'm going to probably need to have for the foreseeable future of like adding more of a collaboration I guess and that was very much the case here. And I think it shows in the book too, like there's a lot of stuff in there that I know I would not have been able to do if it had been a more formal uh, type of, of a collaboration. Hmm. And we're so excited to have these two graphic novels land on one month, but it also must be like a uh, surreal or strange. Yeah, like is there anxiety around two major works dropping in the same month? Um, the main anxiety was I was scared that one book would overshadow the other, mm. which is what we've done on this podcast. Sorry. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, they don't necessarily have the same target, so I don't know. And and I figured things are happening anyway, so it does no sense. Like my dad has a saying. I'm gonna try to translate translate in English. Um, if if the problem has a solution, there's no need to worry. If the problem doesn't have a solution, there's no need to worry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or rather, worrying is useless. Mm. So that's kind of how I approach it. Like it's happening anyway. So the, the, I decided to leave my anxiety at the door about any possible coupla somewhere. Plus, like I don't know. Like I like the idea of having a month where all of the work that I've been doing in the past two years can now come out, and I can be done with that. And I mean, I already know what the book for next year is going to be because I've already finished it uh, and like yeah the it's nice to have one month where everything comes out and you can handle the the um, promo for both of them 
and then go back to your to your cave and draw again. Mm. Yeah, like from our perspective, it feels like an event. Yeah, and I think what's great about this moment for you is that you also have Julia and Monkey Meat just waiting there. So if people hit on these books, then they'll hit on those books. Like, like it, it's just snowballing for you. Yeah, yeah. The, that was one of the arguments that um, Sebastian Gurner gave me, uh, the editor at TKO, of like, when you have a book come out, especially now, because like, I can't say anything, but I'm having, I'm having more and more like high profile stuff. So there is this argument of like having a backlog of more indie stuff that people can then go to whenever you have a new book come out. So yeah, uh, I don't know, like the, the business side of it is something that I try not to think about too much because I don't know, the brain is already anxious enough as it, as it is. <laughs> uh, understandable, understandable. Uh, you know, we, we just want to say congratulations and thank you for these comics. Uh, you're one of our favorite cartoonists working in the field today. And, I, you know, I'm excited for mainstream attention uh, and uh, whatever comes after that. And but we'll still be hipstery about it. And we are like we we were already fans of Junie Bob. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, thank you guys. That was nice. And there you have it. That was Junie Ba talking about Mobilis, My Life with Nemo, which again is out now from TKO Presents. Listening to that conversation again, Lisa, I am still really struck by the notion of the seventh generation principle. This idea of doing something now in the way that it will positively affect the seventh generation from now. Like you're thinking that far out. Like we need to be thinking that far out and we are most definitely not. I think a lot of times when we're thinking about sustainability, we're thinking from the perspective of, I still want to charge my iPhone. You know what I mean? Like, how can we create a more sustainable world where I I um, experience the least amount of inconvenience? And I think thinking from the mindset of like, we're living in a guest house and there is someone that we love that we don't know yet, whom we want to be able to live here and live comfortably. I think about Nemo continuously visiting that void and trying the same thing over and over again, sacrificing what he thinks is really important, sacrificing art and sacrificing human ideas and, and trying to, to force that narrative on Arona. And I, I think that sometimes we do need a hard reset on our perspective to go like, hey, like the way that I am suffering is not changing the situation or making change it. Like, like it's not making anything better. Yeah, I mean, that repetition is yeah. the very definition of insanity. And we, ne we need to recognize that it, it's insane what we're doing. And there are some forms of suffering that we put on this pedestal as if it is proactive, as if that suffering in and of itself is a good thing, but it's not necessarily. It's not necessarily. Martyrdom will only get you so far. Right, right. Like, right. That's and, what I'm, and, yes. and it's a brick wall. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In some yeah. cases. And I also really like how Mobilis both adores and challenges 
our idea of Captain Nemo and our idea of Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. And I like the horror that Junie Ba mines out of Peter Pan. Clearly, Junie loves these two stories, and that love is all throughout Mobilis. But the, the, the notion of like never wanting to grow up, that is a childish fantasy. And Peter Pan, from a, an adult perspective, that's not Steven Spielberg, is kind of grotesque. Yeah, well, like, there's no one literary work that will give you a complete pers like it will give you the whole story. We right. have to experience all of art. We have to experience all of literature and we have to consider like actively consider what it is trying to tell us and how that serves us or does a disservice to us. Yeah. So Mobilis, My Life with Nemo is a conversation and it's a conversation that Lisa and I have been wanting to have and it's great to continue that conversation with Junie Ba. And it's nice to hear that even for Junie Ba it's not a complete thought. Mm, it is mm. just a starting place. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, it, you'll see it continue in Felix and Macabre and whatever else Junie Ba gets up to next. Yes. And we tried, friends. We tried to get some information out of Junie Ba, but he 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 kept it close. He kept it tight. <laughs> and uh, we'll just have to be surprised with all of you uh, whenever that information comes out eventually. But I imagine we'll be hearing about it in the very near future. I'm guessing before 2024 hits us, or at the very least, just as 2024 hits us. We may not be able to tell you what Junie Ba has coming up, but we can tell you what we have coming up <laughs> on December 3rd at 4 p.m. We are doing another screening at the Alamo Draft House Winchester. And this time it is Flash Gordon. And it's going to be a very celebratory event. We are, of course, co-sponsored by Four Color Fantasies in Winchester and co-hosted with Faye from Psycho Cinema. And if you know anything about the Alamo Draft House Winchester, you know that Faye is an icon. The screening will also have a Flash Gordon print illustrated by Mark Makes Comics, AKA Mark Jackson. And uh, he really nailed the assignment. Uh, Dan Schade, who is the current cartoonist of the Flash Gordon strip from King Features. Also, you can find it in the Washington Post. He will be doing a virtual introduction to that screening as well. Very excited to see Flash back up on the big screen. And if you need a double dose of comic book couples counseling this week, head on over to the Spectales podcast where Lisa and I guested. And, you know, we're not the biggest speculators. Like, we don't like to think of ourselves as comic book collectors, but we might actually have a cool collector's item or two in our collection. We talk about what our grails are, what's Lisa's grail, what's Brad's grail. If you want to hear all that stuff, visit Spectales, link in the show notes. It was a truly fun conversation, and I was particularly unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> it did feel like you were pushing me out of the zoo. I was being a real mic hog. <laughs> you just wanted to have Jesus and Jake in the room with you. You wanted to nothing myself. to do with Brad. That's not true. <laughs> you're like, I know you just re-listened to that episode. Very cringy for me. You're feeling cringy about it. I also listened to it. I think it's great. We're hoping and that that's our charm. I love the Grail Tales segment. Yeah. And uh, if you haven't listened to their Philip Kennedy Johnson episode, I'd also recommend that one too. It got me to finally read uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson's Hulk book and I'm 
really enjoying Hulk. And that's a bonus referral for you. Ooh. Although Marvel's not an omnibus, so don't bother about not that. Not yet, anyway. Not yet, anyway. Um, we also want to do a Patreon plug. We had Kelly Jones and Matt Wagner over there talking about their Dracula the Impaler book. I got an advanced read of it. Oh my God, it might be the best thing they've ever done. You can read a portion of that transcript on the Comic Book Couples Counseling website or join our Patreon for just $1 and hear the whole thing. And yes, they do talk about what the best Dracula movies are and what the best Dracula stories are, and you need to hear what they say over on our Patreon. I know what Dracula says. What's that? Blah. Right? Yeah, yeah, he says blah. <laughs> that was very funny, Lisa. Thank you. It was very funny. I know I didn't laugh, but I'm going to tell you it was funny. Thank you. High compliment. So next week... On the main show, we are going to have Brian Michael Bendis whoa, whoa, whoa. back. Yes. And this time he's bringing Alex Mayleave to talk about their new Dark Horse comic series, Masterpiece. We've read the first issue and we had a great time not talking about that first issue until like the halfway point where they're like, wait, did you read the comic? And we were like, yes, yes we, we did. did. But we wanted to talk about all that Daredevil stuff. <laughs> yeah, we really felt like we were uh, cramping their style. We really felt like uh, a collective third and fourth wheel on their little friend date. And it was so fun. Yeah, because they had not actually spoken to each other in a very long time. And suddenly they were together in our Zoom room and we were like, hey, uh, we're doing an interview here, guys. Yeah, I don't, I, like, it was such a great vibe. It like, was fun. It was it was like hanging out at a bar or yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So you're not going to want to miss that conversation. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, put some masterpiece in your pull box. Well, it sounds dirty when you say it like that. <laughs> okay, Brad. Um, what did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies. Hey, you, I was going to do the punchline. My niece told us that joke and I really enjoyed it. It's a street joke and I give you permission to tell it. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on most social medias at MouthDork. If you have some words of affirmation for our logo, you could send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster and our fifth anniversary poster, which we will reveal on December 1st, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, Google, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you prefer. We're everywhere. If you'd like to get exclusive, Ooh. you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website website comicbookcouplescounseling.com or follow us on all the socials at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts and if you'd like to do an act of service why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We're fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Why were you giggling over there? Because I like I keep getting tongue-tied and I just don't care anymore. And it, we're just leaving it in.